Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to the next episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being part of our Cool Things community. You know, you can jump over to Facebook and join the Facebook page because we're starting to have a little bit more dialogue and things going on over there. We also have the Cool Things Project, which I'm getting more and more excited about. I know I've talked about it a lot. If you're a regular listener, we have a group coaching program that for six months you can join. And every week we have a little video hangout with the people in the community and we talk about things around your career. It started off, I thought it was going to be all kind of solopreneurs and people who want to be solopreneurs. But we have people who are researchers at college. We have people who are seeking jobs, people who work for companies and just want to be more entrepreneurial in that job, and small business people. So it is a hodgepodge of an interesting, eclectic group that has come together just to share ideas and have some accountability. And if you're interested in that, go over to TomSinger.com, pull down the drop-down menu uh, under About, and look for the group coaching program. And everything you would need to know is right there. We'd love to have you join that community. Also, go ahead and tweet if you like this episode. Go ahead and tweet the link to the episode because that's how people find the show. And finally, I always like to ask people if you'll go leave a review on iTunes. And, you know, that helps the show get found. But more importantly, it just makes my whole day better. And that's kind of fun when someone leaves a review. Well, today I want to jump in and invite back to the show a repeat guest. In fact, she might hold the record for having been on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do more than anybody else. And that is my friend, Jessica Pettit. Jessica is a professional speaker who for over a decade has been one of the most sought after and award-winning college presenters in the whole United States. And recently, she has started doing more and more work in the corporate and association market. Now, that may not sound a lot different to a lot of you. You're thinking, oh, you're a speaker. An audience is an audience. But like all of your industries, there are segments, and it's very different. So I wanted to invite her in to talk about how does someone go about pivoting when they're trying to grow their business or enter a new market? Because it's not necessarily easy, and she really dove in with both feet. And I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation. And we'll talk a little bit about her expertise, which is how to help people have conversations that matter. Hey, welcome back to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, Jessica Pettit. Thanks, Tom. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're glad to have you here. So, why don't, you know, I gave a little bit of an overview of who you are, but why don't you tell people kind of what your business is all about? Sure. So, I, as you mentioned, I started in the college market, working with difficult people or difficult topics and try to how to do the impossible a little bit easier. And as I have been doing this, the college students or even some of the faculty and staff that I've worked with have introduced me into the association world. Some of them have grown up and gotten real jobs. <laughs> that happens to college exciting. students. Yeah, college students grow up and get real jobs. I know. What's interesting is um, staff and faculty also end up kind of jumping around different spheres. And as my message or my work kind of enters these different places, I've decided recently last couple of years to kind of take it a little more seriously and figure out how to use your language. I can really pivot my attentions to focus on the association and corporate world. So the messages of what we think things are difficult can actually come out to just not be perfect, but we can at least try. 
So I know if anybody went back and listened to, you know, episode, I forget if you were on episode two or three, but you were one of the very early guests. I know someone could go back and listen to this, but I thought we would repeat it because you have such a great story about how you went from working in the actual administration of colleges to being a professional speaker and, and you were sort of caught in traffic and how a traffic jam changed your life. Would you share that story again? Absolutely. So uh, I always joke when people say, like, how did you start doing this? And the answer is I kept getting fired. Um, (laughs) I know that there's like a joke in that piece, but I think it's really important to be open about some of the trials and tribulations that most of us have experienced at some point in time. And I'm fortunate enough that I look at them as uh, windows into a new opportunity. Um, Not to say that I wasn't sad at some point in time, but the jobs that I had on campuses was being able to name or build community around silenced or marginalized people and to really name some of the more difficult things that the university might have been doing to the surrounding community. So it's a lot easier to get rid of me than it is to like fix the problems that were uncovered. (laughs) And at a particular university, which will remain nameless, um, same thing kind of happened. I got fired and I was on the way to my HR exit interview I was stuck in traffic on Priest. I looked out the window and there's this building with this big sign that said National Speakers Association. <laughs> I was like, what is that? Went, did my exit interview, got back home, went to the National Speakers Association website, printed off, I don't know, a ream of paper and was like, oh my gosh. Like At this point, I realized my preferred line of employment, there was a pattern that made it difficult to pay bills. So I took all the bits and pieces that I liked of what I did and just kind of followed literally something out my window. And now here we are 12 years later. Well, you know, we always make a joke that, you know, the right thing will come along. You'll see a sign. You actually saw a sign. Yeah, literally. I know. I wish Ace of Base was playing at the moment, but that's not the case. <laughs> but I, I love the story of how, you know, you didn't know that really there was a National Speakers Association and you didn't actually realize that that was a whole career path that, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people work in. And you went home, did a little research, and all of a sudden that became your career. And, you know, you didn't just go out and give a few speeches. You became one of the most sought after people speaking in the college market. So how did that happen? Well, thank you for that. And what's also particularly ironic in the Alanis Morissette kind of way, this this podcast should come with its own play track, um, was that I booked speakers all the time. It just never dawned on me that that was their job. Um, which I think we all as speakers, we typically run into is people are like, you're great. I wish you could come to Oklahoma. Well, you do have an airport. I can come. (laughs) But um, when I started pivoting, I started speaking primarily with friends and colleagues. And then it kind of expanded from there until eventually I, again, trying to be optimistic when you don't have anything on your calendar, there is nothing standing in your way. And so anything that came my way, I could say yes to. And it just started from there. And it was slow going. I always think it's important to say that because I think there's this kind of Tom Cruise film image in our head that we like blast into success instantaneously overnight. And that is certainly not the case. Um, But it has been a long, hard, fascinating roller coaster ride. And I'm still working uh, with colleges and looking to also – attract more um, more spaces that want to have conversations that matter. 
So it is interesting because that was, you know, what you worked on in your job was dealing with difficult situations and difficult people and, and things. So it's not like you just fell into your topic. You were already doing this for many years in a lot of different capacities. And you also had a background in stand-up comedy, which, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I want to be a speaker. They've never stood up in front of an audience before. So I think it's a good message that, you know, you, you did go in. It was slow going and, and it took a while. But you also had sort of the pillars that were sitting on your foundation that were going to support this entire building. Yeah, I kind of accidentally landed into the pillars. Um, I think what well, I think that that's a really important piece that's been a huge learning point for me is that uh, none of this was strategically lined out. And I'm a very linear, strategic kind of person. But um, when I started doing stand up, uh, I did it because my father had passed away. And he was kind of a big motivational quote kind of guy. And so I thought like an homage of my father, one of his favorite quotes was if, um, what would you do in your life if you weren't afraid? And I was living in New York at the time and I was trying to figure out what's the most terrifying thing I could possibly do in New York City. And at the same time, I found this stand-up comedy class at the new school and the final was a 10-minute set at Caroline's with yet-to-be-determined famous people as your judge. And I was like, gulp. That's it. That's the scary thing. Um, so I started doing, I took the class, and I got picked up, and I was emceeing a weekly show. And it happened to be around an election year. And so I got picked up by a kind of loose organization that was doing fundraisers for the Democratic National Convention or Democratic Party. So I started doing that. I started emceeing those shows and um, it was fun. It was just something I did at night. And then it kind of took over the last couple of years. So I had my college administration boring job during the day and then was doing some pretty amazing stuff at night. And um, it was great. And so, yeah, it was a great foundation and how um, I always use this metaphor of Ghostbusters with their proton packs, like do not cross the streams. So I have like these compartmentalized pieces of my life that were kind of firing all at the same time. And then now as, as I've become an entrepreneur, all of those streams have kind of crossed. And I'm really focused on the message. I'm really focused on the problems that I solve. And I kind of want to get it out to as many audiences as possible. So it is interesting when you talk about the fact that, you know, letting all the streams cross and that's where the power sort of has come in for your for your career. So as you've decided to move into a new market, and I think a lot of us, no matter what industry we're in, we're always looking for for new markets because, I mean, you're just going to, you know, you can only go so far with any one product or any one service line. How scary was it for you to go from where you were a, a dominant speaker? I mean, you were a well-known person in the college market to say, I'm going to go after the association in the corporate market because, like I said in the in the intro, from the outside, they look very different. But the way those those product lines or those those things work, they're very different within the business. So was it scary? Um, I think the word terrifying might possibly be more applicable um, because it What's interesting is is that to leap off of one safe place to another um, ha comes with its own level of fear. And the reality is is that as an entrepreneur, your quote unquote safe place is pretty fragile. So whether it's nine eleven or a major crisis or an economy turn, um, I don't know that as an entrepreneur we ever have a guaranteed stable safe place to pivot off of. Um, so the that kind of just fuels the pivot. And um, I think, I mean, listening to your other guests and conversations that you and I have had, 
there is kind of an adrenaline high that I think the entrepreneur <laughs> is addicted to. Um, so I think that the, the terrifying is kind of the point as well as literally being terrifying. But the reward is, oh my gosh, it's working, right? Or, oh my gosh, they liked it. Or, oh my gosh, I built this. Um, when I know that whenever I create a new program or a new product specifically, and it's in my hands, I don't have any children, but that's the closest I've seen to the inside of my own brain. And um, it's exhilarating. And it's, it's just exhilarating. I think that's the best word. Well, and once you went out there and sort of stuck your toe in the water and then leaped in with both feet, the feedback that you got was really positive because your message really connects to, to people. It really gets down to the heart and to the soul, whether you're talking about you know, diversity or dealing with tough, uh, tough conversations. All of the topics that you cover are something that we all deal with, whether we're college students or administrators or we're board members of a company or we're on the board of an association or we're just a human being who's you know, on our way to Jack in the Box to get a burger. We all deal with other humans and, and, and along the way that brings you know, some, some issues. And so as you jumped in, I think, and I know this, that you found that the you know, corporate audience and the association audience responded positively. So how was that once you started getting positive feedback? I was great. I mean, I think my first inclination was to do what I could to um, rebuff compliment or rebuff a positive impact. And so I just would make jokes like, oh, they're just like college students. They're just taller. And then uh, some of them don't get taller. So they're really just college students with jobs. And the reality is college students also have jobs. So uh, all of the barriers that I'd put in place of Whoa, what this pivot was going to be like were really self-imposed. And um, I was just I, I was just finished doing an association. And one of the things that I'm keeping taped on my computer, because sometimes I sometimes and this comes up in other of your conversations on your podcast, too, is that you, I'm my biggest problem and I am the one who's the most in my way. And um an attendee said, I want to do what you do, which is present relevant content to a broad variety of professions with incredible humor and relevancy. Like, thank you. Nailed it. <laughs> and um, that was the first time I had presented that particular program. Um, so it's it's a confidence boost to feel like you're onto something. And I think it's really important never to get so egotistical that you think you're done. So let's talk a little bit about your message. I mean, you know, we, we kind of have this overlying term you use of conversations that matter. But what is the messages that you bring to audiences and how does that impact people? I'm a big fan of do the best you can with what you got some of the time. And I'll say it again because it's, it's such a, a bizarre concept for people. But do the best you can with what you got some of the time. And then what I try to Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to the next episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being part of our Cool Things community. 
you know, you can jump over to Facebook and join the Facebook page because we're starting to have a little bit more dialogue and things going on over there. We also have the Cool Things Project, which I'm getting more and more excited about. I know I've talked about it a lot. If you're a regular listener, we have a group coaching program that for six months you can join. And every week we have a little video hangout with the people in the community and we talk about things around your career. It started off, I thought it was going to be all kind of solopreneurs and people who want to be solopreneurs. But we have people who are researchers at college. We have people who are seeking jobs, people who work for companies and just want to be more entrepreneurial in that job and small business people. So it is a hodgepodge of an interesting eclectic group that has come together just to share ideas and have some accountability. And if you're interested in that, go over to TomSinger.com, pull down the drop down menu uh, under about and look for the group coaching program and everything you would need to know is right there. We'd love to have you join that community. Also, go ahead and tweet if you like this episode. Go ahead and tweet the link to the episode because that's how people find the show. And finally, I always like to ask people if you'll go leave a review on iTunes. And, you know, that helps the show get found. But more importantly, it just makes my whole day better. And that's kind of fun when someone leaves a review. Well, today I want to jump in and invite back to the show a repeat guest. In fact, she might hold the record for having been on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do more than anybody else. And that is my friend, Jessica Pettit. Jessica is a professional speaker who for over a decade has been one of the most sought after and award-winning college presenters in the whole United States. And recently, she has started doing more and more work in the corporate and association market. Now, that may not sound a lot different to a lot of you. You're thinking, oh, you're a speaker. An audience is an audience. But like all of your industries, there are segments, and it's very different. So I want to invite her in to talk about how does someone go about pivoting when they're trying to grow their business or enter a new market? Because it's not necessarily easy, and she really dove in with both feet. And I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation. And we'll talk a little bit about her expertise, which is how to help people have conversations that matter. Hey, welcome back to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, Jessica Pettit. Thanks, Tom. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're glad to have you here. So, why don't, you know, I gave a little bit of an overview of who you are, but why don't you tell people kind of what your business is all about? Sure. So, I, as you mentioned, I started in the college market, working with difficult people or difficult topics and try to how to do the impossible a little bit easier. And as I have been doing this, the college students or even some of the faculty and staff that I've worked with have introduced me into the association world. Some of them have grown up and gotten real jobs. <laughs> that happens to college exciting. students. Yeah, college students grow up and get real jobs. I know. What's interesting is um, staff and faculty also end up kind of jumping around different spheres. And as my message or my work kind of enters these different places, I've decided recently – last couple of years to kind of take it a little more seriously and figure out how to use your language, I can really pivot my attentions to focus on the association and corporate world. So the messages of what we think things are difficult can actually come out to just not be perfect, but we can at least try. So I know if anybody went back and listened to, you know, episode, I forget if you were on episode two or three, but you were one of the very early guests. I know someone could go back and listen to this, but I thought we would repeat it because you have such a great story about how you went from working in the actual administration of colleges to being a professional speaker and, and you were sort of caught in traffic and how a traffic jam changed your life. Would you share that story again? 
Absolutely. So uh, I always joke when people say, like, how did you start doing this? And it, the answer is I kept getting fired. Um, <laughs> I know that there's like a joke in that piece, but I think it's really important to be open about some of the trials and tribulations that most of us have experienced at some point in time. And I'm fortunate enough that I look at them as uh, windows into a new opportunity. Um, not to say that I wasn't sad at some point in time, but the jobs that I had on campuses was being able to name or build community around silenced or marginalized people and to really name some of the more difficult things that the university might have been doing to the surrounding community. So it's a lot easier to get rid of me than it is to like fix the problems that were uncovered. <laughs> and at a particular university, which will remain nameless, um, same thing kind of happened. I got fired and I was on the way to my HR exit interview I was stuck in traffic on Priest. I looked out the window and there's this building with this big sign that said National Speakers Association. <laughs> I was like, what is that? Went, did my exit interview, got back home, went to the National Speakers Association website, printed off, I don't know, a ream of paper and was like, oh my gosh, like at this point I realized my preferred line of employment, there was a pattern that made it difficult to pay bills. So I took all the bits and pieces that I liked of what I did and just kind of followed literally something out my window. And now here we are 12 years later. Well, you know, we always make a joke that, you know, the right thing will come along. You'll see a sign. You actually saw a sign. Yeah, literally. I know. I wish Ace of Base was playing at the moment, but that's not the case. <laughs> but I, I love the story of how, you know, you didn't know that really there was a National Speakers Association and you didn't actually realize that that was a whole career path that, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people work in. And you went home, did a little research, and all of a sudden that became your career. And, you know, you didn't just go out and give a few speeches. You became one of the most sought after people speaking in the college market. So how did that happen? Well, thank you for that. And what's also particularly ironic in the Alanis Morissette kind of way, this this podcast should come with its own play track, um, was that I booked speakers all the time. It just never dawned on me that that was their job, um, which I think we all as speakers, we typically run into is people are like, you're great. I wish you could come to Oklahoma. Well, you do have an airport. I can come. <laughs> but um, when I started pivoting, I started speaking primarily with friends and colleagues, and then it kind of expanded from there until eventually, I, again, trying to be optimistic, when you don't have anything on your calendar, there is nothing standing in your way. And so anything that came my way, I could say yes to. And it just started from there. And it was slow going. I always think it's important to say that because I think there's this kind of Tom Cruise film image in our head that we like blast into success instantaneously overnight. And that is certainly not the case. Um, but it has been a long, hard, fascinating roller coaster ride. And I'm still working uh, with colleges and looking to also attract more, um, more spaces that want to have conversations that matter. So it is interesting because that was, you know, what you worked on in your job was dealing with difficult situations and difficult people and, and things. So it's not like you just fell into your topic. You were already doing this for many years in a lot of different capacities. And you also had a background in stand-up comedy, which, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I want to be a speaker. They've never stood up in front of an audience before. So I think it's a good message that, you know, you, you did go in. It was slow going and, and it took a while. 
But you also had sort of the pillars that were sitting on your foundation that were going to support this entire building. Yeah, I kind of accidentally landed into the pillars. Um, I think well, I think that that's a really important piece that's been a huge learning point for me is that uh, none of this was strategically lined out. And I'm a very linear, strategic kind of person. But um, when I started doing stand-up, uh, I did it because my father had passed away and he was kind of a big motivational quote kind of guy. And so I thought like an homage of my father, one of his favorite quotes was, "If um, what would you do in your life if you weren't afraid? And I was living in New York at the time and I was trying to figure out what's the most terrifying thing I could possibly do in New York City. And at the same time, I found this stand-up comedy class at the new school and the final was a 10-minute set at Caroline's with yet-to-be-determined famous people as your judge. And I was like, <laughs> gulp. That's it. That's the scary thing. Um, so I started doing – I t- took the class and I got picked up and I was emceeing a weekly show. And it happened to be around an election year. And so I got picked up by a um, kind of loose organization that was doing fundraisers for the Democratic National Convention or Democratic Party. So I started doing that. I started emceeing those shows. And um, it was fun. It was just something I did at night. And then it kind of took over the last couple of years. So I had my college administration boring job during the day and then was doing some pretty amazing stuff at night. And um, it was great. And so, yeah, it was a great foundation. And how um, I always use this metaphor of Ghostbusters with their proton packs, like do not cross the streams. So I have like these compartmentalized pieces of my life that were kind of firing all at the same time. And then now as, as I've become an entrepreneur, all of those streams have kind of crossed. And I'm really focused on the message. I'm really focused on the problems that I solve. And I kind of want to get it out to as many audiences as possible. So it is interesting when you talk about the fact that, you know, letting all the streams cross and that's where the power sort of has come in for your for your career. So as you've decided to move into a new market, and I think a lot of us, no matter what industry we're in, we're always looking for for new markets because, I mean, you're just going to, you know, you can only go so far with any one product or any one service line. How scary was it for you to go from where you were a, a dominant speaker? I mean, you were a well-known person in the college market to say, I'm going to go after the association in the corporate market because, like I said in the in the intro, from the outside, they look very different. But the way those those product lines or those those things work, they're very different within the business. So was it scary? Um, I think the word terrifying might possibly be more applicable um, because it What's interesting is is that to leap off of one safe place to another um, ha- comes with its own level of fear. And the reality is is that as an entrepreneur, your quote unquote safe place is pretty fragile. So whether it's nine eleven or a major crisis or an economy turn, um, I don't know that as an entrepreneur we ever have a guaranteed stable safe place to pivot off of. Um, so the that kind of just fuels the pivot. And um, I think, I mean, listening to your other guests and conversations that you and I have had, there is kind of an adrenaline high that I think the entrepreneur <laughs> is addicted to. Um, so I think that the, the terrifying is kind of the point as well as literally being terrifying. But the reward is, oh my gosh, it's working, right? Or, oh my gosh, they liked it. Or, oh my gosh, I built this. Um, when I know that whenever I create a new program or a new product specifically, 
and it's in my hands. I don't have any children, but that's the closest I've seen to the inside of my own brain. And um, it's exhilarating. It, it's, it's just exhilarating. I think that's the best word. Well, and once you went out there and sort of stuck your toe in the water and then leaped in with both feet, the feedback that you got was really positive because your message really connects to, to people. It really gets down to the heart and to the soul, whether you're talking about you know, diversity or dealing with tough, uh, tough conversations. All of the topics that you cover are something that we all deal with, whether we're college students or administrators or we're board members of a company or we're on the board of an association or we're just a human being who's you know, on our way to Jack in the Box to get a burger. We all deal with other humans and, and, and along the way that brings, you know, some some issues. And so as you jumped in, I think, and I know this, that you found that the, you know, corporate audience and the association audience responded positively. So how was that once you started getting positive feedback? I was great. I mean, I think my first inclination was to do what I could to um, rebuff compliment or rebuff a positive impact. And so I just would make jokes like, oh, they're just like college students. They're just taller. Uh, and then uh, some of them don't get taller. So they're really just college students with jobs. And the reality is, is college students also have jobs. So uh, all of the barriers that I'd put in place of Whoa, what this pivot was going to be like were really self-imposed. And um, I was just I, I was just finished doing an association. And one of the things that I'm keeping taped on my computer, because sometimes I Sometimes, and this comes up in other of your conversations on your podcast too, is that I'm my biggest problem and I am the one who's the most in my way. And um, an attendee said, I want to do what you do, which is present relevant content to a broad variety of professions with incredible humor and relevancy. Like, thank you, nailed it. (laughs) And um, that was the first time I had presented that particular program. Um, so it's, it's a confidence boost to feel like you're onto something. And I think it's really important never to get so egotistical that you think you're done. So let's talk a little bit about your message. I mean, you know, we, we kind of have this overlying term you use of conversations that matter, but what is the messages that you bring to audiences and how does that impact people? I'm a big fan of do the best you can with what you got some of the time. And I'll say it again because it's it's such a, a bizarre concept for people, but do the best you can with what you got some of the time. And then what I try to do is to break those three pieces down. So the best you can means you don't have to be perfect, but it also means that you you do still have to try. So when I talk about like the release from perfection, what I'm meaning is is that so many of us don't feel like we're adequate or that we've been trained enough, or that we're enough of an expert in order to engage in a conversation or engage into some kind of advocacy or ally work or interrupt bystander behavior, or do these things that intellectually a lot of us know we're supposed to be doing, but we don't feel good enough, which is why it's called good enough now. So if we can release from that perfection and just do the best we can, that's great. Um, Using the resources that we currently have um, I think it's really important that we create this kind of environment that we have to take workshops. I mean, I lead workshops, um, get certain degrees, have certain resources, have the right team in place, do all of the stuff. Then, then we can do something important. And I say just work with what you got, which might be hiring freezes and budget cuts and really exhausted, burnt out, underpaid team members 
Um, but that's what you currently got. More importantly, a party of one kind of work, you always have yourself. And so if you work with, I like to call myself a hot mess, but the most powerful work that I've done has used the tool of my hot messness. So do the best you can with what you got. And then some of the time I think is about paying attention to where you're at and who you're talking to and where you're engaging, where you have the privilege to engage and do, do what you can do some of the time. Um, allows you to learn, allows you space to listen to other people, to kind of take them in. Um, I have a phrase that I like called differently right. And that is the, the really, really frustration, frustrating aspects of people that you work with or your family members or even yourself. If you can give it just a window of space that maybe it's just differently right It doesn't mean you have to convert them or convert yourself, but give them just enough space or leave room for edits, just enough for some strength to come out of the frustrating source, then you're much more likely to maintain and engage in that conversation. And ultimately, that's really what I'm striving for is just to try. Well, and that's so fascinating because, you know, when I think of the work that you do, I think of you speaking to, you know, big associations, you know, in their keynote or doing a workshop for a corporation. However, everything you just said applies to the entrepreneur who is or or even the solopreneur who is out there just trying to get their stuff done. I mean, you know, everything that you just said can be boiled down to every single one of us who's listening to this episode that, you know, sometimes we just have to get the work done with the tools that we have and sitting around and whining about it, you know, so what? I mean, you know, take a step and move forward, you know, take a deep breath, get over the wine and move forward. Yeah. When um, I, I'm a pretty high perfectionist and I think it's hysterical is even when I shared, you know, I've been fired a lot. Um, I have been informed by other people when I say that is that I'm supposed to be more secretive about being fired. And I don't want to be because it's just true, right? I'm also a recovering alcoholic and I also uh, like to go to bed really early. Um, That's who I am. It's important. What I think is important when we talk about being a solopreneur, we've all made mistakes. Some of them we know about, right? I mean, As a perfectionist, my very first book I ever put out, the first page, the second word is misspelled (laughs) in the first edition. And I want to point out, no one noticed. I'm the only one who noticed and I had a panic attack because I had just paid for like a thousand copies. Um, They all sold and I changed it and it's updated for the second version. Great. The, mo- the, the key thing isn't that my book is spelled correctly. The key thing is, is that my book sold because it was a tool that people needed to have better conversations or have conversations that matter with one another. But if I had waited to make sure that every single little teeny tiny detail was in place, that thousand books wouldn't have gotten sold to those people. They wouldn't have been able to use the tool. Just have a 2.0 version. There's nothing wrong with that. So you bring up you know another interesting point, and that is you mentioned kind of in, in, in brief there and sort of passing, you mentioned you know leave room for edits, which is actually a term that you coined that has become sort of one of the things that you're best known for. Can we go back and talk a little bit about where that term comes from and why that is so important for people in this world where, let's face it, you know, there's so much information coming at us so fast, we don't have a lot of time to sit around and think, so people are 
are making judgments and we're judging each other all the time. And you say, hey, that's great, but leave room for edits. Can, can you go a little deeper about that for me? Absolutely. And uh, I did a talk this summer and you are welcome to go and look at the video. Um, it is up at goodenoughnow.com or you can YouTube how to matter. But in four and a half minutes, I did a presentation specifically about judgments and assumptions. Um, one of the latent functions of my work is I feel like I'm healing people from really terrible diversity training experiences. And one of the pieces of a really bad diversity training is that we should never, ever, 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 ever make judgments and assumptions. And I don't think that's true. I think we make judgments and assumptions all the time, and it's largely to feel safe and prepared. The problematic piece is what we do with the judgments and assumptions that we make, or if we're unconscious or not even paying attention to the judgments and assumption patterns that we do make. So the language that I use is that we write stories about people, circumstances, what's going to happen, events. We write stories. Um, uh, some people get very defensive, like, no, I don't. And I'm like, if it is not currently raining, but you think it is going to rain in the future, do you bring an umbrella? That's writing a story. That's thinking ahead and trying to be safe and prepared. But diversity trainings, I think bad ones particularly, have really scared people into thinking that you have to be perfect, which means you have to amputate the judgment and assumption piece out of you. And I don't think that's true. I think what you do is recognize that you do it. And then when you're doing it, you're writing a story. And the idea of writing that story is to print it out as a draft so that it's triple spaced with extra wide margins so that you are genuinely curious and seeking edits. So it's walking around with an umbrella and it never started raining. People will often like internalize that like they didn't they weren't psychic. They didn't read the future when in reality they just look prepared in case it starts raining. Um, leaving room for edits means you might not ever use the umbrella. OK, great. No, no harm, no foul. By leaving room for edits with people and with interactions, what you're doing is you're actually providing space for their truth to get into your story. Um, that's what leave room for edits means. You print your story, but you have to be genuinely curious so your story gets more accurate. Well, and let's face it. The world has changed in the last five years or 10 years. And the workplace has changed. And you talk about, you know, diversity training that's done wrong. I think many of us can relate to, you know, when we work in a corporate setting, having to go to one of these things and somehow, you know, someone feels bad because they have a judgment or an impression. And, you know, in the world we live in today, you know, what you're teaching people really means just, you know, to be open to whoever could be sitting in the next cubicle. And yeah, you might feel some way, but maybe if you go have a cup of coffee with them, you're going to learn some different things. And your feelings weren't necessarily evil. They just weren't the truth. Is, is that kind of where we're going with this? Sure. I mean, no, no, nobody likes to admit they're wrong, right? So I don't use the word wrong. What I use is we could become more accurate. <laughs> right. That seems way less aggressive. Um, this past uh, week or so, I can't remember now, we went and saw a screening of Purple Rain as kind of my local hometown's memorial to Prince's passing. And uh, in watching Purple Rain, one of the most fascinating things, I think, is, is that you also, to just to keep the metaphors going, you have to get out of the forest sometimes to see the trees. Is that how that works? 
Um, what I mean by this is, is that when you talk about the changes that have happened, I've been doing this kind of work for almost 15 years now, and I hadn't really noticed how much progress we've made. And um, I often frustrate people because I'm like, I don't really see a difference between the Deep South and the Northwest. Like, I'm still having these conversations because they involve humans. But in watching the screening of Purple Rain, um, the <laughs> uh, it was fascinating to me what was edgy then that is not considered edgy now. Hmm. Um, also, what the treatment of women and like what was totally normal or normalized, maybe slightly edgy, what was okay, what wasn't okay. Um, some of that has really significantly shifted in our present culture um, of what you can and can't do. Um, but I also think what's really important and this always goes back to my party of one work is that when I first saw purple rain, I was 10 years old. <laughs> Last week, I was 41, right? So, like, maybe Purple Rain hasn't changed. Maybe our culture hasn't changed. Maybe I've changed. Hmm. And I think that we, we have a big habit, a huge habit of always, and I'm not saying that you were just saying this, but of talking about culture and the media and these kind of nebulous things that are larger than ourselves. But if we're really going to have conversations that matter, I have to be able to understand that my like everlasting takeaway of Purple Rain this last time of seeing it was that Apollonia is not wearing motorcycle safety gear when she is on her motorcycle. She is wearing a cape that is attached at her neck as well as lingerie. That is not safety approved wear. <laughs> so, Jessica, I've got a couple more questions for you before I can let you go. But first, <laughs> but first I have to thank our sponsor. So this episode, oh, this episode, I'd like to thank them. You want to thank them? Well, say thank you. They say thank you, thank Podfly. You. This episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Jessica Pettit. If you want to start a podcast, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer they have or give them a call and tell them that I sent you and they'll answer all of your questions. So, Jessica, we've talked about sort of your message. We've talked about how you've tried to make this pivot into a new into a new market. What's the thing right now in your business that you think is just the coolest? What's your favorite part of your life right now when it comes to work? I think that there is, it's a really good question. I think my favorite part is there is an equal balance, creativity, innovation, fun, new idea generation, think tanking, as there is really holding my own and staying true to my original message. Um, I think if I did either one of them a little bit more than the other, I would grow bored and get a job. <laughs> and by loving the fact that as a solopreneur, I have to equally do both parts. Um, I feel like all of me is engaged and inspired most of the time. So who makes a great client in this association and corporate world? Who is the ideal person who would hire you to come and speak? I told someone the other day, breathing people with a checkbook, but I was told <laughs> that's too broad. That's, that's broad. 
Um, I think that uh, I generally prefer to work in more male dominated audiences. Um, I think they tend to get my sense of humor better. And as of recently, most of my clients have been all women's spaces. So, okay, sounds great. Um, I think that people who are tired, um, maybe even slightly on the burnout side of things, but are passionately dedicated to what they're doing, they just kind of forgot why. I think that's a really important group for me. Um, And then I do, in the college market, we call it bias response. But I think that within associations and organizations, there's lots of elephants in the room, Um, whether it's nepotism or someone leaving or a buyout or um, something that somebody feels obligated to do or a bad board member or something. There's some, I'm, I'm noticing in the work that I'm doing now that, People are not comfortable naming the elephant, let alone like incorporating the elephant into the work that they're doing. And I find that really in, invigorating. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of the work I've been doing mostly. And I, I would say like mid mid-sized to small organizations uh, tend to be a little bit more interested in real change. Um, where their coworkers themselves can actually fully show up at work. I wish that that was something that everybody was interested in in improving their office climate or work climate. Um, but it tends to be medium to small that are the most most aware that this is really retaining talent, recruiting better people, saving money at the end. Um, perhaps they're just they're not so big that they're they haven't lost track of those really basic fundamentals. That's so, my group. So what advice would you have for someone who's listening who wants to enter a new market in their field, whether regardless of what they do for a living, but they want to do that pivot and go go chase new types of clients? What advice would you have for them? Uh, do it. That would probably be the first thing. And um, keep your training wheels on. I think that if I had completely stopped doing the work that I've been doing for the last 15 years, the sheer terror of building into a new audience or a new market um, probably would have paralyzed me. Um, So I would say kind of tip, like use your language, Tom, you tip one toe into the new stuff and you keep your other foot planted firmly in the other place. And um, it does actually become pretty obvious when to switch your weight between feet. And uh, if you're not there yet, you know you're not there yet. So, Well, Jessica, thank you so much for coming in and, and doing another episode here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And if someone is listening and they're like, we have to have Jessica Pettit speak at our conference, we need her at our company meeting, how in the world do they find you? Um, thank you very much. And I'm so proud of all the success of your podcast. This is such great. And you've created this huge tribe. So I think that that deserves some attention. Um, as far as getting in touch with me, goodenoughnow.com is the website for the videos and the resources and everything. And if anyone in your audience uh, is interested, you can also drop uh, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and I'll throw in uh, some products or something for the work we do together. Wow, free stuff for your workshop if you just mention this podcast. I love it when that happens. Dun, dun, dun. All right, well, thank you again for being here, and thank you to everybody for tuning in and listening. Please continue to come back every Tuesday and Thursday. We have a new show where we interview somebody just as cool as Jessica Pettit 
I know that she finds that hard to believe, but no, we do. I listen to them. They are very cool, <laughs> if not cooler. That's the hard part to believe. That is true. That is true. Well, anyway, come on back. Uh, uh, we're going to have some really good episodes coming up. But in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>